The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Jesus entered the temple area and proceeded to drive out those who were selling things, saying to them, it is written, my house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. Every day he was teaching in the temple area. The chief priests, the scribes, and the leaders of the people, meanwhile, were seeking to put him to death. But they could find no way to accomplish their purpose, because all the people were hanging on his words. The Gospel of the Lord. Okay, so we're pushing it a bit being outside today. It's probably reading from uh, all those accounts of martyrdom. <laughs> but be that as it may, here we find ourselves outdoors. And yet our three readings have a significant focus on indoor reality. It's the indoor reality of the temple of the Lord. And all three of our readings deal with the temple. The first reading involves the reconsecration of the altar in the second temple in Jerusalem. The responsorial psalm is from Chronicles, and it is the prayer, the hymn, that Solomon composed on the occasion of the building of the original temple in Jerusalem. And then we have Jesus in the third temple, driving out those who are conducting business on temple precincts. All of that is at the service of our asking the question of what goes on in the fourth temple, which is inside of us, our hearts. And you know, it's important that we recognize that the temple in Jerusalem is not one single building. There is the great temple built by King Solomon. And that temple was destroyed. It was razed to the ground by the Babylonians when they conquered Israel and exiled its leaders. After the people came back from exile, they were given permission by the Persian king to build a new temple. It was a much smaller, much more humble building. That is the building that was desecrated by King Antiochus IV, the building that the Maccabees triumphantly entered and rededicated to the worship of God. And that building was being replaced by King Herod, Herod the Great, who desired to legitimize his status as king of over Israel by making a temple that would, even, that would rival and outdo even Solomon's. This is the temple that Jesus is told took 30 years to build and still wasn't finished. And Jesus said, tear it down 
and I will rebuild it in three days? That's that temple. The temple being built by Herod. That is the temple that the Romans destroyed years later. And in each of these three incidents, there's the question of the purification and the dedication of the temple. Quite obviously, in the first reading, the Maccabees are celebrating the reconsecration, the rededication, the removal from the temple of that which had desecrated it, rendering it unfit for divine worship. And this is a cause of great rejoicing. It is not simply a matter of having gained political freedom. In fact, that's not what they're celebrating. They are celebrating the fact that they can now return to worship in the proper way. And what a beautiful biblical testament about what the real meaning of freedom is, which is not simply a collection of rights and privileges but the ability to serve and worship the Lord in the right way. And they rejoice at this. Eight full days they celebrate the rededication of the altar because for long years they could not visit that altar. They could not use that altar. And note how marvelous that is. It is in celebrating the altar that they celebrate who they are as a people, as the people of God. It is in celebrating and gathering around that altar that they understand what it is to say, once we were slaves and now we are free. And in doing so, they celebrate the God who gave them victory the God who is their freedom, the Lord whose worship is their unity. And it's a cause of joy. The temple had been off limits. It had been desecrated. It had been a place where we could not pray, but now we are here. And it's not just that we worship again. We repair the doors. We repaint the walls. We clean out the filth, and we bring in what is good. It's not simply a matter that they said some prayers over the altar. It was they attended to the entire structure so that the entire building would be fit for the worship of God. And on the one hand, we can say, oh, it's just a building. But on the other hand, no, it's not just a building. It is the place where the community gathers. It is the place where Israel is one and united like nowhere else. Note the importance that this implies for the spaces in which we gather for worship. And that there is a dignity and a greatness about them that we do need to be conscious of and we do need to attend to. Because so much can easily diminish it. And when the space is taken away, the people are lost. But now they are together again in that place where their unity is born. This is the reason why Solomon prays with such great joy 
at the construction of the original temple. And it is not, Lord, look at all the great things I gave you. It is not to the people. Look at how magnificent the building we made is. It is, Lord, you are great. And we recognize your greatness. And our recognition of your greatness is what has produced this building. And we gather in this building to offer our sacrifices because you are great. Not because we are holy, not because we are good, but because you are great. And what an important reminder of the fountainhead of all authentic worship. It begins with the recognition of the goodness and the greatness of God. A goodness and a greatness that demands a response. And it becomes so easy to take that goodness and that greatness for granted, to pay it mere lip service. We convince ourselves so easily, yes, God is good, I know that. But we rarely pause to savor just how deep and mighty that goodness is. Oh, when we do, we don't simply say, oh, yes, I know that. We actually speak as if we've just discovered it for the first time. Because it goes so far beyond what I understand, so far beyond what I know. And the idea of building a magnificent temple for the Lord was not that Solomon could show what a great king he is. That was Herod's game. Solomon wanted a magnificent temple for the Lord because of how great the Lord is. And then we see Jesus. And he comes into the magnificent temple that Herod had made to demonstrate what a great king he is. And what does the Lord see? He sees what comes with that. The temple is at the service of agendas that are not the Lord's. Profit, the exchanging of coin, worldly affairs and worldly matters. And looking at this, the Lord says, and whose house is this? And he drives out the coin counters. He drives out the men of business. He drives out this sense that the temple is the house of worship and a house of business at the same time, saying that no, it is a place for one kind of business, one kind of transaction, and that is spiritual. In doing so, the Lord is not saying that churches should not attend to their finances. But what he is saying is that there is a dangerous line that we can cross. It's not simply the oppressive king who invades the temple and erects the statue of the pagan god over the altar that is the enemy. It is the desire for gain, the desire for advancement, the desire for what do I get out of it, the desire for profit that likewise desecrates the worship space. Not just the physical worship space, but the space of the heart. And if you notice, if you pay very close attention to Jesus and the conflicts he gets into in the Gospels, 
Jesus rarely speaks of things like sexual immorality. It's not because it's not important. But he speaks of other things more frequently because of their danger being perhaps less obvious, but equally great. And the great danger he speaks of time and time again is the desire for material gain, the desire for wealth, the desire for advancement. Time and time again, notice he's not kicking out the wicked of heart from the temple, but he is kicking out those whose hands are filled with the coin of the world. Coming to the place of worship, not to seek the grace and the mercy of God, but a way of profiting from my visit. And that's a, that's a sobering warning for all of us, that subtle temptation because the materialism of the world is always around us. And one might not be able to point to other obviously great areas of failure in life, but that subtle desire to get a little bit more, to advance myself a little bit further, that desire to look at what I get out of it and make that the main focus. Oh, that is so subtle, so common, and so pernicious. And so it is that we gather here today, not indoors, but outdoors. And in a moment, that same Lord Jesus who entered that temple built by Herod, in a sense, a temple that while authentic worship was taking place, also had a note of self-service about it. And this same Lord Jesus is going to come to each and every one of us into our hearts, into that temple, which we try to set aside for him. And if we're honest, is a place of some authentic worship and perhaps a fair amount of self-service as well. And the Lord comes to our heart. You know, and he might be looking to overturn the money changing and coin counting table that I have there. But if he does so, it's so that what the Maccabees did can become our work. We repair its doors. We repaint its walls. We re-consecrate the altar of receiving him so that we can truly rejoice around it and rejoice deeply and richly and fully so that we can then say with Solomon, Lord, I try to give you a clean heart, a pure heart, even a great heart. Not because I am great, but because you are great. And your greatness deserves the best from me. And what a great thanksgiving for Holy Communion that would be. Amen.